Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s inspired style and cutting edge performance technology with its sleek mid cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi piece upper construction delivers high energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. TC Live with you on a Wednesday night in Big D, one of five tour stops around the globe this week. And after everyone was united in Australia, the tennis world has scattered to the four corners of the globe. France, Australia, the UAE, Argentina, and deep in the heart of Texas. Coming up on our show tonight, Anz Jabir in the friendly confines of the Arabian Desert produces her best performance of the year, knocking out a major champ. Couple of top 20 Americans headline the night session in Dallas. Would Ben Shelton and Tommy Paul be more hat or more cattle? And with her career hanging in the balance, former number one Simona Halep has her day in court. All that and more on the way as we welcome you once again to Tennis Channel Live on a Wednesday night at our Santa Monica studios. So glad that you are with us with Jimmy Arias. And Mark Petschy, I'm Brett Haber, and we start tonight with the hearing that may determine whether or not Simona Halep ever plays professional tennis again. The former world number one was in Lausanne, Switzerland today at the start of a three-day hearing before the Court of Arbitration for Sport to appeal her four-year doping ban. Halep, as you may recall, tested positive for a banned substance back at the U.S. Open in 2022. It's been determined that that positive test came from a tainted supplement that was given to her by her team, but authorities chose not to reduce the suspension nonetheless. Patch, we've got a lot of unanswered questions here. Yeah, and I think that's the important point. There is a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of things that you could jump to. There's a lot of things that you can kind of think about when you look at the actual overwhelming body of evidence here, which you have to say doesn't look great for Halep right now from that point of view. So, you know, I think that the, the big questions are going to come out of this trial. We're not going to know for a few weeks uh, potentially what the verdict is. Um, I don't really want to sort of jeopardize it in that regard. But it, th this is huge for her. I mean, this this potentially excludes her from the Hall of Fame and all of those things that go with it. This is this is a big four days for Simone Halep. It was made worse by the fact that last year she had a second positive test having to do with her biological passport. As Petch alluded to, the evidence is not in her favor. It does not seem great by any stretch of the imagination. And it's a shame what a great champion she was. She fought so hard when she played her matches. She didn't have the huge weapons, but she found ways to win. And... You don't want to think she found ways to win because she had a little extra help, but it might be the case. I have to ask this because Patrick Moritoglu, who was her coach at the time, basically admitted that it was his fault and members of his team's fault for having given her a supplement that was tainted with this substance. Is there not any comeuppance for him in this whole situation? Yeah, well, I think that's part of what you've just asked. There's a lot of unanswered questions. There's a lot of people that are out there going to be asking, you know, how does that happen to slip through the net when it's Patrick in terms of what, what's happened here? As you say, he's taken responsibility for that. But then you also look at some of the numbers that are coming out in terms of the contamination. And that's a big question mark. We, and also, let, let's be honest, even when 
when we look at this and the result of this, there's probably going to be appeal from one way or another. We look at Tara Moore. She's been sort of fighting a suspension from supposedly sort of Nandrolin being in the meet in Colombia. And it's just gone back on appeal because they're saying, well, there's still a point of view that the meet, you knew that there was a risk. So the body of evidence, you know, is on the athlete. And it's like, so I don't think this is going to be the end of it, regardless of what we hear from this tribunal. Why did Patrick only give that substance to Simona Halep but not some of the other players that he's coaching is the question that sort of enters my mind when I talk about it. So I'm not sure, Patrick, I'm not sure if he was as responsible as he's as much as he's taking. Well, the bottom line is she turns 33 this year, and she says even today that if she doesn't get this thing overturned, it's unlikely that she'll ever play pro tennis again. We'll let you know more when the verdict comes down. Let's get to some highlights in the meantime, starting in Abu Dhabi with the women there. Very intriguing second rounder. Emirata Kanu, the former U.S. Open champ, taking on the two seed, Anja Jabur and Pet. She gets so much support at this stretch of the schedule. Yeah, and uh, well, that was an interesting start. There was a. Uh... One of her nine lives was good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'll tell you what, this was the best performance I've seen from on since Wimbledon. Um, I thought she was fantastic. She hit Emma early, hard down the line. You just saw one of those linear strikes. Uh, Emma picked up just five points out of 29 against the first serve from Ons. There was the usual touches. There was the usual finesse from Ons. She looked as though she had total control of everything that was going on. Emma just went big. She went through the court. She forgot to go round Ons Jabeur. Um, and th that was a big learning curve, actually, for Emma today. I think, hopefully, if she can see it in the right light, uh, it will be very positive for her. Emma still yet to beat a top 10 yep. opponent in her career. Here's Anz on the result. Well, she didn't make it easy for me, obviously. Emma is such an amazing player. Uh, um, I really uh, wish her all the best, and I know she can uh, play much better. So uh, uh, I'm a big fan of her, so uh, I'm looking forward to see her uh, winning more matches. Not against me, but, you know, against other players. <laughs> There's a smile and a laugh from Anz Jabur as we head to the Beatrice Haddad Maya match against Magdalenette of Poland. Normally not a lot of smiles and laughter from Haddad Maya. She's more intense. Every point is intense for her. Every match seems to be fairly intense and long. This was the longest match on tour so far this year. I know it's early in the year, but three hours, over three hours and 40 minutes. First set went to Haddad Maya in a tie break, but... And the Lynette was not done as she fought back in that second set. Do you took think it's it in a, a tie break? Do you think it's a conspiracy <laughs> that we're giving you the highlight from the longest match of the year? <laughs> Maybe. Yes, it's possible that that's the problem. However, the third set went a little more quickly. <laughs> You know, maybe Thank that's why they let me have this highlight, because they knew the third set wouldn't be all that long. There were seven break points that Lynette had in that set. Just didn't convert any of them. It was 6-1 Haddad Maya. All right, 343. She will now meet Jabur in the quarters in a match that will almost certainly be shorter to Jimmy's great benefit. Let's go to Dallas now on the courts at SMU. American Chris Eubanks taking his big serve up against the veteran Aussie James Duckworth. And it was big serving from both players. First set went to a tie break. No breaks of serve. In fact, Duckworth was the bigger server and a little bit better returner throughout. He had a bigger serve at the top end and also average throughout this match. And for Chris Eubanks, it wasn't quite his best. Ended that tie break with a double fault. Duckworth second set. They're holding serve throughout. Attempted attack from Eubanks, but it didn't bother Duckworth at all. And finally serving at 4-all, we get the first break of serve, and it goes for Duckworth. And Duckworth 
It's Serbic Love to finish it nicely. To amplify Jimmy's point, just how well did James Duckworth serve today? He served 75% first serves in and won 90% of his first serve points. That is almost always winning math, and it was for Ducky today. Let's go to one of the matches you saw in the night session in Dallas. It was an All-American showdown between the flame-throwing Florida Gator, Ben Shelton, and Michael Moe. Yeah, well, it's another person a bit like James Duckworth that's going to get 30% tip because the service was so good for both those two today. Ben Shelton also hardly coughed up any points at all. You're a big tipper. I am a big tipper. No, well, I mean, it's big, uh, 30% is normal these days, isn't it, around these parts? But it was, it was a great, it was a good performance. Listen, Michael's always suffered from just being a, a little underpowered. You know, at the, at the very elite level, when he comes up against these great players, they've got to have a bit of an off day. And um, Ben didn't have an off day today. There was a lot of mixture. There was a lot of charisma. Uh, he was slightly erratic, which I think Michael actually found quite difficult. And then this was the final bit of polish on a good performance on his debut here in Dallas. He looks good. Just three points lost on his serve the match just nice, 35 percent on Sorry. his second serve. Your tips are getting better, and he was <laughs> more cattle than hat, despite that picture at the end of the match. Let's show you the match that just preceded TC Live. Tommy Paul and Taro Daniel, and it was so electrifying that it actually strobed our televisions. That's how good Tommy... He's so fast, yeah. Tommy Paul, that, that you can't even see him. You, that's a 30-shot rally you just saw. And you just <laughs> have no idea because he was moving so well. So we knew that he was quick. We yeah. didn't know he could actually uh, screw up. And he really game. was. The he fact of the matter is, though, he, he, he looked great today. Yeah. He only had 11 unforced errors in the match. Yeah, yeah, and listen, I mean, coming back from what happened in Australia, Ketsmanovic, you know, looking to back up a semi there, and he was very close. Who knows where that journey could have ended, having had those match points. Uh, and so to bounce back, I think Brad's going to be super happy with that kind of performance. And as I said, he's been working hard on trying to up the speeds off the ground. He knows he's got to try and dent those elite players and take their precious commodity of time away. And that is going to cause a few more unfair errors. And I thought tonight he was excellent. Well, it turns out there's one person that's fast enough to slow Tommy Paul down. That's Blair Henley, who caught yeah. up with him for this little chat. What are you taking away from this match tonight? Absolutely. Uh, exactly what you just said. I mean, you would uh, read the scoreline three and two and think that it was a pretty straightforward match, but it was quite the opposite. Uh, we played some insane tennis. He saved a lot of break points. It was uh, kind of getting to my head there in the first set. I was like, I'm like 0 for 10 at one point. So uh, yeah, I mean, I ended up playing really, really good tennis today. So uh, I mean, it was, it's always tough to play him. So I'm happy to get through that match. Started 0 for 10, wound up 3 for 14. Look, Jimmy, he, he's 16 in the world right now. We've talked about how he's taken a much more professional approach to his career. He's so quick with his feet. Could you see him getting even higher than that? I mean, he made it to a Grand Slam semifinal. Could he do that on a regular basis? On a regular, I'm not sure because his game is so physical and he doesn't have that top-line power from the back of the court. So he's got to work the points. He's got to play physical brand, and it might be difficult in three out of five set matches time after time if he's not winning some quick ones. The one thing I want to say about Tara Daniel is he's going to go home and he's going to tell all his friends, I lost three and two, but I swear it was, it was really close. <laughs> 19 and, he wouldn't, and he wouldn't actually be lying. 19 deuces in that match. Yeah, it sounds like a, sort of my career conversation of me around the dinner table with my parents. No, honestly, you're not it wasting really your money. You're not wasting your money. It was, a, it was a lot closer than it was. Don't go by the scoreline. Go yeah. by how it felt. <laughs> Doesn't get you any money, but go by how it felt. We've got a lot more to get to on our Wednesday night TC Live highlights from Cordoba on the Golden Swing and over in Marseille as well. Plus, the Cincinnati Open is staying put, so they're starting to renovate the joint, and it looks 
really good. We'll show you what the VMOC boys are up to. And Tennis Channel's celebration of Black History Month continues with a look at the African-American tennis clubs that opened so many doors when too many were closed. That and much more coming As the 20th century approached, tennis's popularity among African-American professionals was growing, in spite of its institutional obstacles. The racism that hindered black opportunity in most facets of American life also existed in the tennis world. Black players facing exclusion from white-dominated tennis clubs began founding their own clubs in cities across America. Tennis played a key role in the growing sense of community the clubs offered. Philadelphia's Chautauqua Tennis Club was established in 1890 and hosted the first African-American interstate tournament in 1898. In 1915, what would become the Cosmopolitan Club opened in Harlem. In 1917, the Monumental City Tennis Club hosted the first ATA championship at the Druid Hill Park in Baltimore. And in 1920, Mrs. C.O. Seams from the Chicago Prairie Tennis Club purchased property on the south side of Chicago to build four tennis courts making it the nation's first black tennis club on privately owned land. These clubs were more than just outlets to play tennis. They laid the groundwork for community, inclusion, and access, and gave generations of players the chance to fall in love with the game. Our thanks to Nick Monroe. Nick mentioned the Chicago Prairie Tennis Club in there, which is still thriving in its 113th year on South Ellis Street. They continue to keep tennis accessible. Their annual membership dues are $51. You can see all of our Black History Month features at your convenience at TennisChannel.com, and our celebration continues tomorrow on TC Live. When we come back, Francis Tiafo makes his Dallas debut tomorrow, but he spent his off days making a difference. We'll show you how when TC Live returns. Introducing Coco Golf's signature shoe, more than just a tennis shoe. It's a fusion of 90s-inspired style and cutting-edge performance technology with its sleek mid-cut silhouette. It's designed to enhance speed and power on the court. The multi-piece upper construction delivers high-energy return for players of all levels. Whether you're a seasoned pro or just starting out, the Coco CG1 empowers you to dominate the game. Learn more and purchase the Coco CG1 at NewBalance.com. Back on TC Live, and we are now just four weeks away from returning to Tennis Paradise. The biggest stars in the game will be back at Indian Wells next month, and Tennis Channel will be there. Exclusive first ball to last coverage on the Linear Network, plus on T2 and Valley Sports Network to give you multiple screens. It starts Wednesday, March 6th, part of our Swing Into Spring. More highlights from today. Back to Marseille indoors in France. Felix Oje Aliassim loves to play on an indoor hard court. And Pecci was in his happy place today against the Frenchman Canton Alice. He absolutely was, and you're absolutely right. Remember those that straight that swing of three straight tournaments, Florence, Antwerp, and Basel. Remember when he absolutely put the sword through Alcaraz as well in Basel. 86 holds of serve in those tournaments, never got broken, and it looked as though he finally found that kind of form with the roof over his head in, in Marseille. It looks as though he's just suddenly come back. He's obviously had a lot of injuries last year. He had a lot of illnesses as well to go to it. If he's fully fit, there's no question he's one of the best players out there, particularly in these conditions that give him a little bit of extra time 
on the ball. I thought he was super impressive in France. Going to be interesting to see who can stop him. He has now won 30 of his last 34 matches on an indoor hard court. He will meet China's Zhang Zhijian in round two. From there, we head to the Golden Swing in Argentina, clay courts in Cordoba. Francisco Sarundolo, the top seed there, opening his account against Jaume Munar of Spain. And you got Argentina against Spain. It's an all-clay court matchup, and Sarundolo has not been himself starting the last half of last year and then to start this year. And this was another example of not quite playing his best at times. Didn't have the intensity that you would want in a match, especially in your home country. And Lunar was able to take advantage. They had long, drawn-out rallies. The normally Sarandolo big forehand wasn't quite as big in this match. He wasn't winning three points, and that wasn't an aggressive jump at a very important moment from Sarandolo. Serving to stay in it. And Munar not really doing a whole lot, but putting the ball in play, and that was good enough. All right, so uh, Munar beats a top 30 opponent for just the 10th time in his career. He'll meet Bagnis in the quarterfinals. That brings us to some tennis headlines for this Wednesday. Rafa's return has been set for Indian Wells. The entry list came out today, and he's on it. Serana Kirstea took out Maria Sakari in Abu Dhabi today. That's her fifth top 10 win in the last 12 months for the Romanian. And we are sending our best to the Aussie Isla Tamjanovic, who had surgery at the Cleveland Clinic yesterday to have a non-cancerous tumor removed. We expect to see her back a little bit later this spring. That brings us to the social net for this Wednesday. What's going on on social media? Now that we know that the Cincinnati Open is staying in Cincinnati and not going to Charlotte, they've started the renovations to the facility, and you're seeing a time lapse of the 12,000 seats in the main stadium being replaced. I, I, I thought this facility was already pretty good, isn't it, Patch? Yeah, it's awesome. I have to say, though, that changing the seats is an absolute game changer. They did it at Centre Court, Wimbledon. They put in the world and the new number one, um, and they put it in wider. They were softer, and it just made... Uh, listen, the, the fans are sitting there for, you know, sometimes eight, nine hours. So, actually, when you look at this, some people might think this is more cosmetic. I can tell you from a fan's experience, it's absolutely worthwhile doing. I'm old enough to remember this tournament when it first started, and I thought the seats in the stadium was amazing at that time for us. Uh, things have changed in tennis and it keeps getting bigger and better. What, what do you mean? The seat for the, in the stadium for you was the bench. It was padded. You had drinks and a cooler. It was standing room only. We're not concerned with the players' seats. It's the fans' seats. No, I was thinking of the fans. I was concerned with the fans when I played. I actually really? thought about them really? sometimes. Yes, That's I wanted nice. them to have fun. That's, you're, you're always thinking outside yourself, yeah, exactly. Jimmy. <laughs> uh, Francis Tiafo gets the Thursday start in Dallas. He's been using his free time to some pretty good effect, holding a clinic on the outdoor court at SMU to benefit the Dallas Tennis and Education Foundation. This is all part of uh, FOE's partnership with the USTA Foundation. This kid, I've known him since he's 15 years old. He does everything right, guys. He does, and I tell you what, these, these are the sort of things that you'll look at one of these kids in 10 years' time and they say, I met Francis, I was on the call with him, you know, it inspired me to want to stay in tennis and everything else. Francis may be doing this also to, to make a little bit of money, but I can assure you the most valuable thing that any of these kids will take away from this is time on court, face time with Francis Tiafo. That is going to be a memory of a lifetime. And the one thing about Francis, as you can see from these pictures, he always enjoys himself. He has so much fun, and it's you can see how it just infects everybody that he's around. All these kids are going to have an amazing time, even though he did rip that forehand. He wanted them to know, you know, I'm still better than you. Chest out a little bit. In the end. Before you go to Thursday's schedule, Petch, did you have to take the bloom off the rose 
by pointing out that this may have been part of his appearance fee and that it might not have just been out of the goodness of his heart because he's a nice guy <laughs> no, who wants to work with kids. I wasn't saying that. I was saying he was generating money for the foundation. Oh, I thought you were saying he was no, generating no, money no, for no, himself. No, no, no. no, I was saying he was generating oh, no. money okay, for the foundation. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes players have to do clinics it's, as part of their appearance fees. It's not always about the pot of cold here, Brett. I know uh, that's that, what I, I was might, saying. Listen, don't I, judge everyone but book by their cover by I, yours. I thought it was genuine <laughs> benevolence. I'm the only greedy son of a... <laughs> here are tomorrow's feature matches. Another 18 hours of live tennis across the globe. It starts at 4 a.m. Eastern with the women in Abu Dhabi and Cluj, then France, then Argentina, then Dallas. And if any of us can play some exhibitions for money between now and then, we'll be there. Just call Tennis Channel. We're back in just a moment. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hot shot of the day comes from Abu Dhabi. Anz Jabur in the near court patch. This is your first hot shot. Take it away. All right. And uh, who else was it going to be? This triple play was so good from John today. She did it a number of times. Ooh. Little mid-court slice, deep ball, Radicanu backing up, little drop shot, and you absolutely love to see it. She can work art on a tennis court. We wondered how Radicanu would handle her variety, and you just got to look at it. It was untouchable in certain cases as Jabur moves on. Here are the feature matches coming your way on Thursday. Day four of our center court week. Rabakana and Collins kick things off in Abu Dhabi. Hubie and Corda on the docket in Marseille. And we wrap with Big Foe in Big D. It all begins at 4 a.m. Eastern time. We want to dive a little deeper into a couple of these matches. And we'll start with that Danielle Collins match against Rabakana. Fourth straight Grand Slam champion that Danielle Collins is facing. I'm curious, Petch, if you think if Danielle Collins has a, a really nice season, might she change her mind about retiring? Brett, absolutely. I think you make a great point. I think the reality has got quite trendy as well, hasn't it, to unretire? I think we've seen so many people <laughs> over the years in different sports unretiring. It's a cool thing. I think it's a great negotiation. Tower. We're back to money again here, Brett. Um, but yes, I absolutely think that there is a great chance. And I actually think, given Rabakina had some issues after the Australian Open mm -hmm. and in the Australian Open, it's a great chance for Daniel Collins to perhaps push that retirement back a little bit. You know, bit. about six months ago, Daniel Collins. Well, you were going to retire? No. no. <laughs> But Danielle Collins told me that she wanted to play for a few more years, but only a 10, 12 tournaments a year. The problem is it's tough to have your ranking high enough to get into the tournaments you want to get into. All right, that is a conundrum. Maybe she'll get the ranking up this year by playing the schedule she's playing. Let's look at the Sebi Korda Grigor Dimitrov matchup. We've talked about Korda this week, but Dimitrov already has a title this year, his first in six years. Could he be resurgent, Jimmy, back towards the top 10? You know, Yes. I, I can't believe I'm saying it because his game has been so up and down throughout his entire career. And when he's good, he's great. And when he's not good, he's bad. And last year was the most consistent I've ever seen him. And then he starts this year with a win. So, yes, I think for whatever reason, his demons have been exercised for now. And he seems to be playing well week in and week out. Sebi Korda is a guy that when he's playing well, he should be a top 20 player. So it's a very difficult matchup. Very slow court, though. I don't know if that helps Corda. 
Yeah, I think it does help Corder a little bit. He's got a bit more time. But obviously the one big thing for, for Gregor is he's hung around long enough that the people that have tortured him <laughs> for a decade, most of them have left the scene. There's still one there that obviously is going to torture him at the back end of tournaments. But Gregor's got a great opportunity, like so many of these players now, that actually he's got a new lease of life because he doesn't have to go through two of them to try and win of these slams now. He, he was part of that lost generation, yes. right, with Raonic and Nishikori. Maybe yep. there's a window for him to slide in there and do something special. One other match to touch on tomorrow. Big Foe plays his own opener in Dallas against the 19-year-old Alex Mickelson. Patch, you were talking about Mickelson having some, some, yep. some unorthodox uh, strokes. Could he be a danger match for Foe? Listen, he is a competitive soul. If you do any of your research on Alex Mickelson, this guy loves to compete. That's what everybody says. He's not necessarily somebody that's got the most perfect technique, but he is somebody that from ground zero just wanted to get out there. There was a day when it was raining and he was crying to his mum, literally to put him on the court. So, from that point of view, the fact is as well, he's a natural Natural lefty, but he plays right-handed. No, Jimmy Harris can't believe it. He thinks like, no, I think you just, ever do that. He just thought it. I'll give everyone a chance to beat me. I'll play with my right hand. Well, is, isn't hand. Rafa a natural righty who plays? Yeah, but lefty? at least That's he not... switched to the side that helps you a little bit more. The leftiness helps you. For that match with Francis, yeah. well, I'm I'm going to be interested because I feel as though Francis will test his athleticism. I don't know how athletic he is. He has great court sense and great feel and great competitive and he serves well. Let's see if he can run down some of the balls that are going to be coming at him as quickly as they are when he plays Francis. And of course the other great thing left today is it's your birthday. Brett Haber. Happy Brett Haber, birthday. Happy birthday. We happy birthday. We're not going to sing you happy birthday but your 40th birthday. I, it's uh, a big day. Only if I get paid will I <laughs> sing happy birthday. Yeah. And it's really just another anniversary of the 29th everybody. So thank you and thank you. Uh, that's going to do it for us on TC Live for Jimmy and Mark and all of us who would do it for free if they didn't pay Where's us. Where's the party? Uh, uh, your place. Afterwards. <laughs> just in case you're feeling five gallons flat, there's your 10-gallon hat. We'll see you tomorrow.